Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I'm Philippe Cousteau from Earth Echo International, and you're listening to Out of the Blue, 855 AM, 3CR's Marine and Ocean News Program. Good morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday 14th of July 2019. Who can believe we're nearly halfway through July, eh? Unbelievable. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial, or you can have a listen from our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash radio blue, from where you can stream our broadcast and you will also find a number of previously aired episodes that have been uploaded as podcasts. You can also find us on our uh, Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash out of the blue radio. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land 3CR is broadcasting from and pay our respects to their elders past and present and to future generations. My name's Andrew Christie from Melbourne Polytechnic and Marine Care Point Cook. 
And today's weather, a top of 14 degrees, some pretty yucky weather today and for the uh, for the coming week. Uh, we've got frequent showers, uh, one to three millimetres of rain possible today, particularly around the eastern suburbs. Uh, overall, about an 80% chance of rain, I think it is. And the Bureau was saying that we've got northwesterly winds from uh, 25 to 35 kilometres an hour, swinging westerly later in the day. And here comes the, uh, the, the punch, 30 to 45 kilometres an hour with gusts on top of that, and then uh, backing off in the evening um, 30 to 35 kilometres an hour. Uh, the point of me getting across the uh, the weather information, I hope it doesn't bore our listeners too much and sound too much like a Bureau, Bureau of Meteorology uh, uh, forecast, but the bottom line is that you've got to be very, very careful at all times of the year, and one of the key things of course, if you're out boating particularly, is the uh, is the wind. Um, that's one phenomenon that we uh, obviously don't have, uh, well, we don't have control over any of the weather phenomenons, but that's the one that gets a bit scary, because of course it doesn't take much to capsize a boat out on uh, Port Phillip or any of our beautiful waterways and in the state of Victoria. So it's one of those things that you've got to be very, very careful of. Have a good close look at the weather forecast. Uh, of course, if you're considering snorkelling and scuba and all that sort of thing, it uh, might be good to take a rain check uh, literally today and for the coming week because what it means, of course, is when you get a lot of rainfall, it gets all the uh, all the gunk washing off the land. You get a, lots of stormwater runoff, etc., uh, ending up into the water, and that causes the uh, the bacterial count to skyrocket. Uh, what we call the fecal coliforms, um, the E. coli, etc., um, is really starting to build up, and that's from things like you know your mammalian digestive tracts, uh, dog feces, and all that stuff. It's not very appetising at this hour of the morning to be talking about this stuff, but you know if you do get into the water um, at uh, at this time of the year when there's been a lot of rain around, or any time of the year for that matter what you can find is you can get ear infections and you know nasal infections all that sort of thing it's it's not good from the human health point of view at all so as a general yardstick when you do get a bit of rainfall good to wait at least 48 hours before you then go hop into the water so for example if i'm eyeing off point cook marine sanctuary on a saturday morning and we get a big downpour of rain on um on on thursday i've got a little bit of thinking to do if it's thursday morning and i'm thinking of getting into more water saturday morning i'm probably going to be okay it sort of does depend a bit on the amount of rain too. Um, 25 mils is going to be a bit different to 5 mils. So it's one of those things um, you've got to just have a have a little bit of a think about. So just wanted to give a little bit of background uh, in case you're getting in the water this time of the year. Of course, northerly winds for the northern section of Port Phillip Bay, our beautiful marine sanctuaries in Point Cook and Jawbone and Ricketts Point over at Bow Morris. Um, the northerly winds are very, very favourable unless they're very, very strong. Um, and we have been getting some pretty strong winds lately, of course. So one of those things to uh, to to just look out for. Okay, today for me, it's a solo flight. Uh, I want to talk about a fascinating item that appeared in the Age newspaper during the week that relates to the venoms produced by sea snails. Uh, so something that's really quite inter- uh, interesting when we talk about uh, what might be found in the racing industry, the thoroughbred and harness racing industry. Uh, they've had a hell of a time lately with a lot of scandals that have uh, have occurred. So uh, we'll be back and uh, I'll, be, I'll be back with you after this uh, brief announcement. It's not too late to donate. It's not too late to donate. It's not too late to donate to 3CR Radiothon 94198377 or check our website 3cr.org.au.
You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. Okay, on the front page of The Age on uh, this week, it was uh, Tuesday 9th of July, uh, was a headline that read Sea Snail Venom in Racing by Adam Pengley and Chris Roots. Now, uh, one of those reports uh, that spanned the front and the back pages of the paper, because first and foremost, and fundamentally, it's a, it was a sporting contest, uh, sorry, sporting context that, uh, that was being discussed by the newspaper and it relates to the horse racing industry. Now, as I mentioned just before we uh, went to those brief announcements, um, they've had many controversies lately. It's everything from Cobalt, um, EPO, the erythropoietin, the, um, the the sort of blood doping side of things, and also recently electric shock devices uh, that have led to the suspension of various trainers and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. It's an industry that's been steeped in a lot of controversy lately and the latest possible um, alleged sort of, uh, well, when I say scandal here in this particular context it's some actually some intelligence that's been received by the uh, the racing bodies that involves the thoroughbred and harness racing codes and that is that there's some sea snail venom that's being used illegally to uh, to manage pain for horses before they race now of course that's a potentially a very very big problem a it's illegal but b pain is there for a reason it tells us when something's wrong and whether it's uh, whether you're talking about a human being or whether you're talking about um, a thoroughbred racehorse or a harness racing uh, horse, whatever the case may be, if there's pain, that causes the animal to pull up, sort of lame if you like. And if those pain signals aren't there, of course what it means is it pushes right through the pain barrier. And of course what that could well mean is there's enormous problems uh, later on. Um, Not necessarily a very good thing for the horse, which is presumably why it's illegal. But what I wanted to discuss today was uh, around the idea of the, the, the venoms and what this sea snail venom is and where it actually comes from. Now, the intelligence that's been received suggests that it's an imported chemical. Um, uh, it's obviously coming from overseas, but it does originate from cone snails. Now, Racing Victoria and Racing New South Wales have confirmed um, that, that they have started screening for the drug, but have not been able to secure a positive test as yet. So how widespread this is and how often it's going on and all those sorts of things we don't know but that's a um, certainly a, a good signal that they haven't been able to detect any yet so presumably it might not be uh, used to a, to a great extent throughout the industry but what we have here is um, and I, I guess this harks back to things like you know you can you can draw parallels with the Essendon Football Club uh, supplement scandal um, the the bombers of course were embroiled in that a few years ago and good to see we've moved on from that and had that fantastic win against uh, North Melbourne last night if I can just uh, digress for a moment and go off on a bit of a tangent but of course what we end up seeing in situations like that is very much a chemical arms race so you get situations where um, uh, people are trying to whether they're injecting themselves or injecting horses or whatever the case may be they're they're giving themselves some sort of an advantage and then of course you get masking agents and all those sorts of things coming out on top of that too so there's this constantly evolving chemical arms race going on in many industries where people are looking for that extra one or two percent I think uh, when you look at the Essendon supplement scan if I can get my two bobs worth in. I wish they'd concentrate more on their goal kicking than running around trying to trying to get uh, supplements used and all that sort of thing. But that that one's done and dusted. Um, the 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 wash up of that is uh, well and truly known. So why am I discussing this on Out of the Blue today? Well, obviously it relates to the connection with the sea and the amazing creatures in it, and potentially the incredible power of their venoms. Um, some of which could be invaluable for uh, for human or animal medicine, of course. So what's a cone snail? What are we talking about when we talk about cone snails or uh, uh, sometimes is also known a cone shell. 
Well, basically, it's a mollusk, um, and it's uh, more specifically a marine gastropod. Uh, when we talk about gastropods, what do we mean? Well, it's something that has a, uh, you know, a, a gastro and pod. It literally refers to stomach foot, and that's uh, so named because of the unusual morphology. In other words, the, um, the, the, the physical makeup of these snails. They used to be known as prosobranchs, uh, and that's a reference to the positioning of the internal organs. But that, that terminology sort of uh, gone out of favour a bit in recent times. Um, they're equipped with this, this beautiful shell. The, the, the trap with a cone, uh, a cone snail is they've got this go- quite often a gorgeously coloured uh, and quite a nice, sh- nice shape to the shell. So the difficulty there is that when some uh, little kid sees it in a rock pool or for that matter an adult sees one in a rock pool, they think, oh wow, look at this, and they pick it up. And that creates a problem because um, the, the whole uh, idea around a cone snail relates to what's called the radula. Now we'll just uh, I will just back up the, uh, the 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 truck a little bit here. A radula essentially is a feeding mouth part for a a snail. Um, in and when we when we, when I'm talking about these things, I'm talking the uh, what you could call a whelk. Um, also things like a limpet. Uh, they've all got what you what you call a radula. Now some of the radulas uh, they look absolutely fascinating when you look at them under things like a a scanning electron micrograph. You you get this. Uh, what is a radula? Think Think of a, uh, essentially a chisel. It's, it's a little mouth part, almost like a tongue. It's a cross between a tongue. Uh, a, a good way of describing it would be a tongue with teeth. And when you look at these things under a, an electron micrograph, you'll see the, the brilliant detail that this sort of brings out. And you'll, you'll see this, uh, uh, basically that, that, that long tongue with a whole bunch of teeth clustered on it. And in the case of a limpet, what it'll do is it'll sit there and it'll use that radula to extend and grind off all the algae that might be living on the rocks and once upon a time I found this out uh, firsthand when I was doing my studies in Warrnambool I put together just so as I could feel um, more in tune with what was going on in the sea I actually grabbed one of these uh, limpets and popped it in a little uh, uh, tiny little 20 litre aquarium tank and the aquarium tank was made of plastic and one night it was uh, I'd finished up working on the honours project fairly late one evening it must have been uh, one night it was into the wee small hours of the morning midnight or 1am or something and I'm sitting there trying to get to sleep as you do and all of a sudden I just hear this and I thought what the hell is that it's a really faint sound but it was there and it was really getting annoying I switched the light on and had a look and sure enough what was happening was a limpet was going around and he was flaring his mouth parts and he was actively trying to feed he hadn't been doing anything during the day but during the night when the lights were off he was uh, getting a bit peckish so he decided to start feeding and what he was doing was rasping away with this sort of almost like a miniature cold chisel against the walls of my uh, aquarium and by the uh, cut a long story short what I did was lift up that little aquarium move it uh, put it under the bed or something so I couldn't hear it and had a good night's sleep woke up the following morning and unfortunately I could see where he'd been during the night because he'd uh, he'd ground out these little tracks on the um, on the plastic aquarium and I could see exactly where he'd been and and where he'd been moving throughout the night because there were all these little uh, grind marks in the uh, in the plastic aquariums it was quite a comical sort of a situation for me 
Um, another one that I was looking at uh, for for the honors project, the um, the the key was Commonella lineolata. That's a a beautiful checkerboard sort of a uh, patterned shell, and that was in the work at, that I was doing at Deakin University in Warrnambool. Uh, one of the best educational experiences of my life. But the idea there was that again they've got a radula and they'll use it in a sort of a scavenging mode. So they'll they'll sit there and when there's meat around, they'll they'll sniff it out. They've got this brilliant um, uh, what what you call a siphon and it's this little tube that extends from the front of the animal which you'll often see in a whole range of different snails this little tube sticking out and that's uh, that's designed around the idea of the chemosensory system so these animals have a brilliant sense of smell or what you could call olfaction and they sit there and they sniff out all these odor corridors and detect anything that might be there so in this marine context these days what we're talking about is things like discarded baits um, my high, one of the highlights I found when I was working on uh, the uh, rock platforms out at Warnable at Thunder Point. Um, what we found was a, uh, an abalone shell, and there wasn't much of the abalone left because 188 individual commonella were found clustered on that abalone. Recently, I've seen one at Point Cook Marine Sanctuary, a big feeding aggregation of commonella and nasarius, and uh, those things are munching. Those things were munching away on a dead, uh, sparsely spotted stingaree. Scores of them going into every orifice of this uh, stingaree. It's a bit gruesome, of course. Um, but they're, they're munching away on it and cleaning it up. They are very important scavengers with a with a very important place in our ecology. Cone snails are a bit different from the, uh, certainly as far as the radula goes, that feeding mouth part that I was discussing, um, that, that tongue with teeth. Instead of having a tongue with teeth, what they've got is this nifty little harpoon dart. And the idea is that that enables them to feed. And instead of being scavengers, they are bona fide predators. So they will feed on anything from, uh, from, from polychaete worms uh, to other mollusks and they also uh, when you when you get into the tropical uh, latitudes generally speaking they actually feed on fish so the idea behind the the radula is it is hooked up to a uh, venom gland basically and what we what we call the conotoxin uh, family of uh, of toxins now it's important to remember too at this point in time when, when we discuss toxins and all these sorts of things what are they well a toxin if we consider things like tetrodotoxin or TTX that's the stuff that gets injected when you uh, when you get bitten by a blue ringed octopus um, it's the uh, so in that concept in that context it is called a venom now if you were to eat something that contains ttx um, in other words a, a puffer fish so if you were to sit down to a meal of globe fish or or toad fish not that you would um, but that would be a highly dangerous thing to do um, and, and you should never do it of course the idea there being that uh, you've got the exact same uh, or, or nearly the same toxin the ttx is there but if you ingest it then it becomes known as a poison so next time we're at a trivia night and someone asks the question what's the most poisonous snake in the world you know it's a uh, it, it's a it's a false question because uh, they're they're venomous snakes of course because they do bite you now that's a, an interesting thing when we when we look at the administration of the venoms into a into a person, for example, um, it's always interested me that when we talk about stings, um, you know, you, you say you get stung by a wasp or stung by a bee or stung by a stonefish. Um, if we look at the case of the stonefish, there's dorsal fin spine, so that is very much a sting. A cone snail has always been classified as a sting, but I've always wondered if it's more appropriate to actually call that a bite because, of course, the radula is part of the mouth parts of the animal. Um, yet 
get there always constantly referred to as stings. So there's my little two bobs worth. I think that might be something that we could uh, safely um, uh, change in coming years. It probably should be a cone snail bite rather than a sting. Just one that's uh, a bite in the same way as a tiger snake or potentially a you know a Sydney funnel web or redback spider. It's the mouth parts that are doing the damage. So it probably technically should be known as a sting. That's my uh, my view on the world anyway. So uh, yeah, it's one for uh, for future discussion. But when you think about what a cone snail does, if a cone snail is going to be eating a polychaete worm, well, it, uh, it probably doesn't need venom that's terribly strong in the, in the grand scheme of things. So, uh, you know, the ones that we find in the Victorian shorelines, things like conus anemone, that's the anemone cone snail, they're one of these animals that aren't particularly potent. Now, I will say straight off that uh, you should never pick one of these up if you do discover them in a rock pool. Uh, it's, it's a big no-no. Uh, you should never, ever do it because they, they can, you know, sting, or as I said, I think it should be a bite. Um, they get you, and uh, you can you can be in a bit of trouble. And I don't know if there's been much work done on uh, anaphylaxis and all these sorts of things, but it, it could be an interesting field for uh, for future research. But having said all that, um, when we look at uh, those those cone snails that are capable of knocking off something like a geographer cone, uh, something like a geographer cone snail, something that's capable of killing a fish, it has to be able to do it very very quickly. And that's for two reasons: one, if it bites a fish or stings a fish with that radula, that harpoon dart that shoots out and hits the uh, hits the, the prey, if that's that fish is then able to swim a distance of 10 or 15 metres, that's a hell of a problem for the cone snail because the cone snail is going to go hungry. By the time it gets to it, something else would have munched on the fish and taken it away and, and eaten it, uh, devoured it. So it's not much good. Also, if the, uh, the, the fish violently thrashes around as it's going to do when it gets uh, jabbed by the, uh, the, the harpoon dart, um, that's going to injure the snail. So the solution to all of the above issues is for that venom to be very, very toxic, and it certainly is. And now the the most, uh, 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 to give you an idea of how toxic, a very fit and healthy young 27-year-old footballer up on um, the Great Barrier Reef one year on holidays, this dates back to about the 1930s, saw one of these beautiful cone snails and decided to pick it up. And what ended up happening there was it, uh, it bit him or, or stung him, and he was dead within four hours. So that gives you some idea of the potency of these venoms and nowadays people are looking at the venoms and deciding well you know the because they're such effective uh, paralyzing agents maybe this could be a really good thing to use for uh, what we call the uh, you know the analgesics the pain-killing drugs Um, when you look at all the problems that are around these days with things like uh, opiate addictions um, if uh, you've got a very severe pain condition you'll get prescribed morphine but morphine has its own problems and people only have to look at things like uh, the fentanyl and all these sorts of drugs that are very, very powerful opiates and the, the opiate addiction crisis that is out there in society today, not just from things like heroin, the illicit drugs, but it's the, the perfectly legal prescribed um, uh, legal drugs that are out there, uh, they cause enormous problems. So that's why there are multiple teams of scientists around the country today having a look at the uh, the possibility of using animal venoms for uh, for for. Uh, you know, to, to alleviate human suffering. Things like uh, Prealt is a, a drug that comes from um, from cone snails. Now, the difficulty with uh, some of the cone snail venoms that they've discovered so far, and that's why there's such an intense scientific research effort going around these days to try and find, um, you know, that they're the right measure or the right dose or the right combination or the right family of uh, toxins that you're going to use for, uh, for alleviating pain is because of some of the side effects that are related to 
to these animal venoms, in particular cone snails, are very, very uh, can be quite frightening. Things like hallucinations, um, things like confusion and memory loss, and all those sort of things, they have been documented. So it's uh, it's something that uh, we've got to try and get on top of. But there's tr- tremendous potential in that area. Anyway, I might kick to a song now quickly just to break things up after that uh, that long rant. Um, this is uh, Johnny Farnham with Days to Come. Now I've uh, got a bit of a confession to make here. Uh, I always heard there was someone else's voice kicking at a particular point of this song, and I I mistook it initially when I was a young fella for uh, the lead. I thought it sounds, geez, it sounds like the guy from Fine Young Cannibals, um, that the lead singer from Fine Young Cannibals, but it's not. It's someone a bit more famous. Uh, I think it's Martin Luther King. Just have a listen and see what you think.
help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shore. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198300 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. Okay, we're just about out of time for uh, yet another week on Out of the Blue, but just wanted to recap very, very briefly uh, some of the ideas around cone snail venom and why it's viewed as so so potentially helpful. Bottom line is that it's viewed as being somewhere between 100 and 500 times more effective than morphine when we get it right. And the reason for that is it has a very complex pharmacological profile um, and the multiple toxins with these discrete actions. So the idea is that we're looking for specific toxins that have a very, very specific role that don't effectively hijack the, um, the, the basic biochemistry, the physiology of those key processes that keep us all ticking over. So um, in closing, uh, there's, there's a lot of work still to be done, but some, one of these areas that's absolutely fascinating uh, from the, the marine biochemistry side of things and something that could certainly help us in years to come. All right, uh, signing off for Out of the Blue on uh, on uh, 14th of July. Uh, stay tuned for Out of the Pan with Sally and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Neon no.